0: Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Um, So we're continuing to look at the the end times. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at uh, kind of a timeline of the Bible, specifically a timeline of the age of the Gentiles. But we've been looking to the past. Today, as we continue, we're going to start looking forward to the future. uh, So you remember this timeline? Um, So we've looked at things that are, uh, things that John saw, uh, and those are basically in Revelation chapters 1 uh, through 3. Uh, and, of course, we, we saw that we are in the age of the Gentiles. and the age of the Gentiles, uh, we discovered, was a, a time that God has allowed Gentiles to rule over and oppress Israel as judgment. It's got three purposes. As judgment on Israel for their disobedience to the law, as an opportunity for Israel to repent and come back to relationship with God, and as a means for the Gentiles to have the gospel given to them as well. So it's 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 a way to bring them back and allow us to be saved. And we saw that we are in the last phase of this church age, and so we're going to start looking forward about things that are to come. And here's what we're going to see tonight uh, regarding the signs of the times. First thing we're going to see is we're going to see events that must precede the end of of the age of the Gentiles. Now, the Bible clearly gives us events that we can look to and pinpoint uh, before the end of this age, and we're going to see what they are. Then we're going to see signs that the end of the age is approaching. And you're like, aren't those the same thing? No, they're not, and we'll see why. Um, And then we're going to see events that conclude the age things that are going to happen that are going to def- definitively end the age. That's why I had to go back to look at the book of Daniel, uh, because Daniel tells us about the age of the Gentiles. And as you're reading Scripture, wherever you're reading Scripture, when you come up against phrases uh, like last days or end of the age or end of the time, it is always talking about the age of the Gentiles. Uh, and remember, the age of the Gentiles ends after... The 70th week of Daniel. We are 69 weeks in. But God put a pause on that clock after Jesus' crucifixion. And once that clock starts, there's only seven days or seven years left of the age of the Gentiles. It's seven years. Yeah, you a week, I mean. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, a week is set because a day is a year and the week of the the Daniel 70 weeks. So seven days is seven years. So once that event happens, that restart, and we're going to see events that lead up to the end of the age, and we're going to see this more next week, but the single event that restarts the clock is what? The rapture of the church. The, or the Resurrection of the Bride, which we're really going to look at next week. That is the singular event that restarts the clock. And, but we're looking at events that are kind of leading up to that restarting. Some of these events, because like we saw last week, uh, there's going to be ten kings, and then one king is going to come up. Those ten kings are not going to come to power in seven years. We, as believers, or believers on earth, Before the rapture, because it could be tonight, it could be tomorrow, it could be in a hundred years. Who knows? I hope it's not a hundred years, to be quite honest with you. Uh, But because events have to happen to get those ten kings in authority before the eleventh king can come in and take over. So we're going to see a lot of stuff. And again, we're brushing over a lot of things. Uh, The one world government, the one world monetary system, that all have to be in place. Before the rapture happens, so that they can kind of be running smoothly, at, you know, after the rapture during that seven-year tribulation period, and so, uh, so we'll see some of that come about. We'll see some of that being set into place. See that come about, you know. We, we may, and again, when we think of, when we think of kings, we we think of you know kings, the king of England, <clears throat> you know, one person ruling a nation. That's just because that's what, they, that's what the, the people who wrote the Bible, that's what they understood, that's what we understood. It may shake out to be something vastly different where it's not ten singular men ruling basically the entire world, but ten conglomerates of countries, ten alliances. And it's just, you can focus your power, into, and we, we're kind of seeing that uh, come to fruition now. Uh, and so we're going to see the signs of the end of the age and the, the events that conclude the age. And all this will lead us to the next age of the kingdom, which is where Jesus returns and sets up his earthly kingdom. Hey, my son And the events that precede the end, and we've already covered some of it already. So let's look at the events that precede uh, the end of the age. We've already seen the first a uh, couple of them the first uh, event that's going to precede the end of the age is the church apostasy. And we've, we've covered that when we looked at the church of Laodicea, where the Bible teaches that at the end of the age of the Gentiles, that the church of God will become an apostate church. Um, and of course, that, that means that the church, not, not our church, but the church will be made up mostly... Of people who think they are believers, but they're truly not. They twist the word of God, they twist the gospel in Scripture to water down what the gospel means, and we're we're seeing that already. Uh, And you know, we we can look to uh, you know major movements of, of of church people, and they're not preaching the gospel; they're preaching prosperity. They're preaching, you know, feel-good kind of messages. And many people who, be- who think they are saved aren't really saved. They think they're believers, but they're truly not. Um, the second thing that's going to mark the event preceding the end is the regathering of Israel. Um, in Ezekiel, God promises that before the end of the age of the Gentiles, Israel will be regathered together. It says after they've been scattered, which they've been scattered long back ago when, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and captured Israel, Israel, the Jewish nation, got scattered. And they've been scattered, really, uh, ever since. Um, but after they were scattered, they would begin to be regathered. And that happened in 1948, when Israel became a nation again. Now, a hundred years ago, you couldn't look at these events and say that's, that's happening. A hundred years ago you, a believer couldn't look at the bible and say you know that we're we're near the end of the age because the church was not major major ma, ma, mostly an apostate church and Israel had not been regathered together so we can look at these events and say we are we are near the end of the end you know the 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 clock is is really starting to tick down um last week and we saw this one that we would see the emergence of ten world leaders. So there must be ten world rulers, and again, we don't really know how that's going to shake out because we have to remember, we are reading uh, descriptions from an ancient civil... You know, Daniel never would have understood to say, oh, well, the United Nations and NATO and the EU... He would have never even thought of these alliances taking place He just saw ten rulers. That's kind of like the events in the Tribulation that John talks about. talks about flying, stinging insects. It could be giant flying, stinging insects, or he could have saw attack helicopters, and that's the only thing his mind could have thought of because he couldn't even fathom what that is. So we don't really know how these ten world rulers are going to shake out, but we saw that because of the ten horns on the beast and the ten toes on the statue. Now, we... we, don't definitively have these ten rulers yet. So we've got two of the events. We don't have this one. And here's the third one that I know we do not have. The return of the prophet Elijah. Uh, in Malachi chapter 4. Yes? That's going to happen before That's going to happen. This is where it gets confusing. That's going to happen before the end of the age of Gentiles. Which ends after Daniel's 70th week. Uh-huh. So, not before, we'll see, it's not before the rapture, it's during that seventh, that last week. We're gone, Elijah oh, comes back. Like, I mean, somebody coming back from the dead is a big deal. Yes, we would know <laughs> that, but again, this is going to happen during that seventh week. Okay. So, we're not, I don't believe we're going to see this. But uh, Malachi chapter 4, um, verse uh, 4. Bible says, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers. Uh, I actually have that on here. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, these are the last verses of the Old Testament. The last thing God said before he stopped talking for 400 years. Um, And he promises them that he's going to send them Elijah. Now, a lot of theologians believe, I personally believe, that this is going to be literally Elijah. Did Elijah die? No. He was taken up in a chair in a whirlwind. Enoch. He walked with God and was not. Moses, we don't even really know Moses died because he just went with God and nobody saw him again. They couldn't find his body, so they assumed he died. Well, three prophets saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. There are two. There are three witnesses in the Old Testament, in the, the, the right. Tribulation. But God, he doesn't say he's going to send someone back with the spirit of Elijah. Yeah. He sent Elijah back. So, Elijah is one of the few lucky people who didn't die, who got to go straight to heaven before Jesus even died, and he gets to come back and return Israel to um, basically the Old Testament law. Now, a lot of people think that this is talking about uh, regathering a family, and that's understandable. It talks about fathers and sons and things like that, uh, but we need to understand the culture and what Jews meant when they talked about fathers. It's not speaking about literal fathers and sons, going to the park, having a picnic, playing ultimate frisbee, things like that. Uh, It's talking about how the Jews are returning to the practice of their ancestral fathers, the prophets, the patriarchs. They are returning to observing the law that they were given by Moses and told to follow. Basically... Israel and every Jew is going to become an Orthodox Jew again. Most Jews today are not observant. None of them are, are truly Orthodox, you know, because no one is sacrificing animals at the temple. One good reason is there's no temple. So if there's no temple to sacrifice, they're not going to sacrifice. But say tomorrow you somehow mag- magically went to Israel and built them that temple, I'm betting not a whole lot of people are going to show up and start slicing the throats of lambs. Uh, it's just kind of, it's not even in their mind anymore. They're not even thinking about it. Um, but in the last days, before God returns to set up his kingdom, there will be a temple in Israel, and the Israelites will return to begin observing the law like they were supposed to, and begin sacrificing animals again. Um, and most people you know if you did it today without elijah coming to turn the hearts of israel back to sacrifice nobody you know most people are repulsed with the idea of of sacrificing an animal catching the blood from the slit throat and sprinkling you know if you're like hey that's what you got to do none of us want to do that you know if that's what god said we had to do as believers like e, uh Jesus came to, okay, fulfill the law does not mean abolished it. He means he lived up to every aspect of the law. But we're, not under the... we're not under the law. We're under grace. We're not Israel. Huh. Look, if you want to be a Jew that gets out of this, get saved beforehand. God's like, I've given you thousands of years to get saved. You chose not to. Now we're going back to this. For a purpose. Again, it's for a purpose. He's bringing in that covenant. Um, Now, they're going to have to do it because that's what the law requires. uh, And God uses Elijah to bring Israel to a place where they will again practice and obey the law of God. And he does this to prepare their hearts for what happens during the final week of the age of the Gentiles. Again, I keep using that phrase week, the final seven years of the age of the Gentiles. And lastly... Uh, the events that precede the age, we're going to see the resurrection of the bride. We're going to talk a lot about this one next week. So, how many of these have we seen so far? Yeah, we've definitely seen two. We can pin down and say, yeah, we've seen these two, but the rest of them, uh, the ten world leaders, you could argue, you know, someone could probably argue, well, these ten... Alliances make up ten world leaders. You could argue that, but it's not definitive yet. So we've seen the first two. Now, hundred years ago, there was none. Now, we've got at least two. So we can be sure that we've moved to the time of the very end. We just don't know how long until the rest of these events happen. Uh, now, so we are privileged as believers today to see the fulfillment of things that were prophesied thousands of years ago. Uh, things that God said were going to happen, we concede them. So the events preceding the end, some have already happened and some are currently happening. And let's look at the signs uh, that God tells us that we can tell we are approaching the end. These are signs that we find in what is known as the Olivet Discourse. This is found in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. It's also found in uh, Mark, but Mark and Matthew are very similar. They, 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 They answer and ask the same questions. Luke gives us another question that Matthew doesn't, and another answer that Matthew doesn't. So we're going to look at them. So um, look at Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse number 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall be not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world. So you got to make sure we understand what, what's happening here. Jesus is he's in the temple, and he knows this is his last visit to the temple before his crucifixion. He knows physically on earth, until his return to sit on the throne, he's never going to see this temple again. Now, the temple, it was an incredible structure. It was one of the ancient wonders of the world. It was an architectural masterpiece. And so the disciples, as they're touring the temple, because not every Jew got an opportunity to view the temple like they are, so they're, they're kind of on a tour. And they're excited. They're like, oh, man, look at that. Jesus, look at that. Man, look at that. Oh, look, isn't this beautiful? And they're kind of ooing and aahing about everything that goes on. And Jesus tells them, you know, don't get too attached to this, because it's all going to be destroyed. Um, now, to understand what they're experiencing, imagine you're in New York, September tenth, two 2001. Somebody comes up to you and says, man, look at that! Aren't those Twin Towers amazing? Oh, yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, they're not going to be there tomorrow. Now, You'd probably I mean you're crazy. If it was someone you trusted, and you're and you know you're like you're not like, well, that's a terrorist right there. Uh, put your mindset, you're not thinking of terrorism. You're thinking, hey, this is someone I know, this is someone I respect, this is someone I I look up to. They've just told me that those towers are going to be gone, and everything they've ever told me has happened. Here is Jesus, and everything he's ever told them has happened up to this point. And he says Temple is going to be destroyed, so of course they're a little confused, a little concerned, not really understanding what's going on. So Jesus leads. He goes to the Mount of Olives, and they come up to him and say, "Hey, can you elaborate on what you just what you just said?" Um, Sorry. Uh, so they have to ask him to really, you know, understand what's going on, and what he meant. And so Jesus begins to answer their questions. Um, But he he answers their questions, and here are their questions here. Um, First question they ask, when shall these things be? So basically they say, when are these things going to happen? Next question they ask in Matthew is, what are the signs of your coming? Now, when we use the word coming, we think like, you know, Y'all, when y'all coming to church? They did not, you know, we, we kind of look at it as returning. Because when I say, hey, when are you coming back to church? When are you returning to church? They didn't think he was leaving, so they didn't think he was returning. They're basically saying, when are you going to set up your kingdom? And then the third question, what are the signs of the end of the age? Now, these are all separate ideas. Now look over at Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verse number 7. <clears throat> and they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? Um, now notice, they're, they're not asking the same questions. First thing they say is, when will these things be? That's the same as the question that is recorded in Matthew. When are, you know, when are these things going to happen? Um, but Luke doesn't record the second or third question like Matthew does. But when you read the Scripture that follows the verse, he does record the answer to the questions that Jesus gives for those questions. But Luke asks a fourth question. When are the signs that these things are going to come to pass? Basically, what Luke is asking is he's saying, you just said... The temple's going to be destroyed, when's it going to happen, but when are the signs so we can know it's about to happen, because when it happens, I don't want to be here. Again, September 10th, 2011, someone says, hey, you know, those towers aren't going to be there forever, they're going to fall down one day and collapse, you're going to want to know, okay, well, when's it going to happen, but also when can I know it's about to happen because I want to get out of here. I don't want to be anywhere near the towers when they fall. And so Luke's like, I don't want to be anywhere near the temple when it's destroyed, <clears throat> All right, so let's put this together so that we can understand what's happening. Here are the the questions that they asked the apostles. Questions. First question: When will these things take place? Again, remember Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple. He just told them the temple's going to be destroyed. They want to know when that's going to happen. Second question they ask: What are the signs of your coming? Now the Jews they they had a, a different understanding of future events than than we did. So they were told that when the Messiah came, it was going to cause great upheaval. So they think that the temple being torn down, it must mean the Messiah is coming back to set up his kingdom. And so when they, when they use the word coming, they don't use it like we do. They mean We mean when he's returning, they're looking at it as when are you going to enter into your kingdom and sit on David's throne like we've been waiting for you to. Third question they ask, what are the signs of the end of the age? Uh, in their mind... Uh, and under, they understood that the coming of the Messiah and the establishing of this kingdom was all going to happen at the end of the age. Uh, we see some of them happening now. But then Luke asks a fourth question. What are the signs? Oh, sorry, I got that wrong. It's supposed to be A. So fourth, third question, what are the signs of the end of the age? Fourth question, what will be the signs before these things happen? <clears throat> so they're looking for, okay, what, what, how can we know to expect these things to happen? Um, And then Jesus uh, answers, uh, but he gives them another question. When Jesus answers their questions, he gives them another question they didn't even think to ask, and that is, what are not the signs of your coming? What are not the signs that we are near the end? They didn't know to ask this question, but they, they needed to know. They needed to know what not... To look for or really what not to freak out about. Um, now, these are the questions, but Jesus answers them. He doesn't do it in this order, and that's important. He answers them in this order. Answers are questions. You don't, you don't got to worry about the order. <laughs> But he you well, you don't gotta worry about writing it down, but it is important to understand that when Jesus is answering these questions, he's answering them out of order, because if you're ans- if you think he's answering question one, but he's actually answering question five, you're gonna get way messed up. You're not gonna understand what's going on. And that's why we have so much problems with people studying the end times. Um he starts with telling them what not to look for, then he goes in an order that they didn't, he didn't ask. He talks about the signs of the end of the age, then about the temple before a second coming. And uh, again, you may be wondering why the order of the questions asked is important, and I'll tell you. If you don't know what question is being answered, you may think he's answering one question and actually answering another, and that's, that's very bad when you're talking about what signs to look for and what signs not to look for. Because if he's talking about what not to look for, and you think that he's talking about what to look for, or you see something, you think, oh, that's what he said. That's not what he said. You've got to understand what he's talking about when he answers uh, these questions. <clears throat> so tonight we're going to look at these, these questions that Jesus answers, and uh, we're going to look at the order again. First thing he talks about are what are not signs of the end of the age? Look at Luke chapter 24 again. again, you're going to be flipping back and forth between uh, Ma- I'm sorry Matthew 24, you're going to be flipping back and forth between Matthew and Luke. So you might want to put a pen in something. Like, I have to, because I forgot to. Matthew 24, starting in verse number 6. And ye shall hear of wars, and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Um... Starting verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take ye that I may deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See so that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, what Jesus is saying is the world's a bad place. It's got a lot of problems, it's got a lot of trouble. That's just, that's the world. That's the. the problem with living in a sin cursed world. When people show up saying that they're the Messiah and we've seen that happen don't be worried. When you hear about wars, don't worry. When you see teenagers drawing on your wall for some odd reason they should be worried. They should be worried. What are you doing? Stop drawing on my wall. <coughs> Unless you're taking notes. <laughs> Alright so he's saying, you know, just, this is just the way the world is. There's, there's wars, there's rumors of wars. There's, Connor, seriously, knock it off. Put the pen down. Move away from the wall. Comes in next to your mama. All right. That's just the way the world is. Don't worry about it. Then he answers the third question. Um, I'm sorry, Luke 21 gives us the same, same thing. Uh, Luke 21, 8 and 9. And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am in the Christ. And the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them, but ye, when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. For these things must come to pass, but the end is not by and by. So again, he says, you know, don't, don't, don't look at every bad thing in the world and say, that's a sign Jesus Jesus coming. The world's just a mess. Get used to it. That's the way the life, life is. But he answers the third question. Hmm? What are the signs of the end of the age? Again, Matthew twenty-seven. I'm sorry, twenty-four. <clears throat> I'm trying. I know I'm running fast, so I'm trying to slow down for you. Matthew twenty-four, starting in verse seven. <clears throat> for nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot to go on, right? That these things have happened throughout history. We've always had wars. We've always had nation against nation. We've always had earthquakes and pestilence and famine. And so that's not giving us a lot. But I want to focus on verse number 8. The beginning of sorrows is literally translated as childbirth. What's the first thing you think of when you think of childbirth? Painful! It is very painful, especially in this time. They had no epidural. They had no scheduled C-section. They had none of that. You went into labor, and, you know, the child mortality rate and women giving birth mortality rate was extremely high. It was a very painful uh, experience. And, of course, if you've ever had children, you can attest to that. Uh, And if you've ever had appendicitis, you can agree it's it's more painful than childbirth. Right, Lexi? No? All right. So, you can agree. (laughs) So... The end of the age will be represented by childbirth, meaning it's a very painful thing. As childbirth continues, as you progress through childbirth, what happens with the contractions? They get worse, and what else? Closer together. together. They increase in frequency and severity. So the events are going to become more severe, It happened closer and closer together that we can look to. Um, So then Jesus chose this analogy to help us learn from it. At the beginning of labor, sometimes at the beginning of labor, you can miss what is happening. Anyone ever had false labor? You think you're in labor. You go to the doctor like, oh, it's just Braxton Hicks. Those don't hurt very much, and you as women want to punch that. Man, doctor, in his face. Be like, I bet that didn't hurt too much, did it, boy? Um, but you can miss, you can see, you can think you're in labor, but you're not in labor. Or you could be in labor and not realize it. The doctors could say you're in false labor and you're not. That happened with us and Lexi. We went to the doctor. April was in active labor, and they said, No, you're not. Here's a sleeping pill. To help you rest tonight, go home and get rest. You know what happens when you take a sleeping pill and you're in full labor, having contractions? You're drugged and having and trying to have to go through labor, and then your husband, who's exhausted because he's a Bible college student, has no idea what to do, and then when you finally wake up, you go got a Cracker Barrel, and then you go to your doctor for your regular appointment, and she's like, hey, you're at like nine centimeters. Let's get you in here. So they sold us we were in false labor, and we were not. So labor, it can be misinterpreted. And so Jesus is saying, some of these signs you can see when you think, oh, that's it, and, and it's not. Or there can be something that happens and you miss it, and Jesus says, hey, that's something that you need to look for. Um, now, but if you misinterpret your labor, and you think, I'm just in false labor, eventually you're going to realize, nope, I'm wrong. This is a real deal. we got to get going. Uh, and that's the nature of the signs of the end of the age. Those are the same way. We may disagree about what events matter, but as the events become more and more frequent and more and more severe, only the willfully ignorant will ignore that we're seeing signs of the end of the age. Another quality of of childbirth that gets overlooked um, but you know it's usually the best part. What's the best part about childbirth? It brings about new life. Yeah, it hurts. It's painful. It's agonizing. But then you get that beautiful bundle of joy. And then they grow up. And suddenly it's not so bundly anymore. But it needs to a new life. And all these are characteristics of the true last days. It is going to be a painful experience. It's going to increase in severity and frequency. But in the end, it brings the kingdom of God. And that's great news. That's the greatest thing that we could ever experience. So knowing... They're like childbirth. Let's look at these signs a little bit closer. Look back at uh, Matthew 24, verse number 7 and 8. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Now, we can look at it and say nation against nation, that sounds like war, but Jesus just said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and that's not a sign of the time. So what's he talking about? He, he's talking about something that is different than an ordinary war. He's talking about something that we we all know about. Uh, nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom is a Jewish idiom. Who knows what an idiom is? So saying that means something that doesn't say. All right? Like, if I were to say, man, it's raining cats and dogs out there. Is it literally raining cats and dogs? No. If it was, I'd be out there with a net catching all the dogs, stomping all the cats. (laughs) But, you know, it's not literally raining cats and dogs. And so this this doesn't simply mean nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. It has a different meaning. He's talking about something that we've all seen, we've all learned about. Uh, I don't think anyone in here has experienced it. But we're talking about world wars. World War I was a war unlike any other war that ever happened in history. Until this point, you would have, like, England against Britain, or England against Britain. England against America. Yeah, the French came in at the end, but... It really was, it's just, you know, two or three nations, maybe three or four nations together. This was a war unlike any other. Eighty, what I say, 88% of the world was involved in this war in some way or another. Until this point, the entire planet had never been involved in one common war until now. Even if if they had no battles on their territory, they were still involved in some way. Sending troops, sending arms, sending... Somehow or another, 88% of the world was involved in this dispute. Uh, This was so unique that people called it the war to end all wars. Obviously, they were wrong. Because just a few decades later, they had to change it because it became... We had World War II. In World War II... 95% 95% of nations in the world were involved. Contractions are getting worse. Contractions are getting more frequent. And now, you know, we can say, well, we haven't had a World War Three. Not yet, but have we? Who was involved in the Vietnam War? It wasn't just North and South Vietnam. It was North and South Vietnam. It was... China, it was Russia, it was America, it was England, it was France, it was a lot of the world sending troops and supplies and support for that one little battle. Same thing with the Korean War. Say, about the Cold War? The Cold War Cold War wasn't just Russia and America. It was a lot of different alliances involved in now I know the Cold War had no technical battles. What about, you know, the war in Ukraine? Is it really just a war against Russia and Ukraine right now? everybody's gearing up because the minute Putin does something stupid, and he will because Putin's stupid, everybody's geared up to fight on one, and if, if he does something that provokes America and we get involved, then Canada gets involved, and then England gets involved, and China's already pledged to help Russia, and so again, boom, we got nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, all types of people fighting in one different thing. Um, so Jesus goes on to say, not only we have all nation against nation, we're going to have famines and pestilence. There, there, there will be famines and pestilence in different places. Now, again, famine, drought, pestilence, they're, they're nothing new. Uh, we see them throughout history. We see them throughout the, 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 the Bible. But over the last century, they've gotten exponentially worse. Uh, Fifty years ago, China lost 45 million people to one famine. We see all kinds of, of uh, continental drought. We see famine in Africa. We see pestilence that destroys crops all over the world. There's a lot of concern right now if we have enough food to feed the entire world because our population has exploded. We have more people on Earth now than we've ever had. We have less land available for food production. A lot because of, of climate change and all of these different things, a lot of areas that used to be fertile and able to be used are not able to be used anymore. Because of pollution, a lot of places cannot grow anymore. You think of uh, in Nigeria, there's all kinds of places in Nigeria where the oil companies have come in and decimated the land where there used to be fishing villages and they used to grow soy and rice and stuff like that they can't do anymore because the toxins from the oil production have decimated the area, and so these people are 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 dealing with famine and pestilence in a way that we've never seen before. Now, usually today's famines they go unrecognized by those of us who are not affected by it. But the war in Ukraine is causing food shortages all throughout Europe because Ukraine is a huge grain producer and supplier for Europe, for Turkey, for Central Asia. And they're dealing with food shortages because the war is keeping them from getting the food across. Um, And so, you know, we just, the whole world is impacted by areas that are subject to famine and drought that didn't used to be. Famines are increasing in frequency and severity, just like childbirth. Then, Jesus says, there are going to be earthquakes in diverse places. From 2000 to 2010, earthquakes in the United States. Of any magnitude. Because we have earthquakes all the time that we don't even feel. You know, a, a 0.5 earthquake. Nobody feels that. But earthquakes of any magnitude went from 2,342 a year to 8,495 a year. That's a huge increase in earthquakes. And the severity of earthquakes. I mean, here in Virginia, we, we've had in the last 10 years, we've had a couple of earthquakes that people have felt in Roanoke. And in, I remember, oh, 20 years ago, it had to be 20 years ago, oh, had to. Man, I'm old. When we were in, before we went to Bible college, it had to be 20, oh, oh my goodness. Uh, there was an earthquake that Lynchburg felt. I didn't, I didn't feel it because I was building a house and I was on scaffolding and the scaffolding is shaky anyway. Uh, but anyway, um, earthquakes are increasing in frequency and severity. Uh, so back to the questions, now that we've seen Jesus answer the first two questions. Again, remember, looking at this, we're looking at these events in Matthew and these events in Luke. So Matthew and Luke, they both record the first question and Jesus' answer to these questions. But Luke records a second part of that question. What are the signs that the temple is about to be destroyed? Now, Matthew doesn't ask that question. He doesn't answer that question. He skips right over it. And it's almost like he doesn't care. Uh, You've got to know that or you're going to miss what's going on. So we get uh, answers to what the temple will be destroyed and the signs that are leading up to it in Luke. Now, the difference between those two Gospels is Matthew is looking to the past and Luke uh, is looking to the future. No. Uh, Matthew is looking forward to future events, while Luke is looking backwards to the past. Uh, look at Matthew 24, 7 again. <clears throat> For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then look over at Luke 21, verse 10. Then he said to them, "Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines and pestilence, and fearful sights, and great signs shall be shall there be from heaven." So Luke gives the same answer to the question that Jesus asked, and they're lining up Luke back at, Luke, uh, back at uh, Matthew 24. I know you're flipping a lot, but you got to see this. So you just saw eight verse eight. Now look at verse nine. Then he shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for not my name's sake. So Jesus skips right over or Matthew skips right over Jesus' answer to the first question and he goes right to the signs of his return, goes right to the signs of the tribulation and the rapture. And look at verse number uh, Luke 21 verse 12. I told you to keep your place there. But before all these things, they shall lay their hand on you and persecute you, delivering you up into synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers, for my name's sake. So Matthew says, then this is going to happen. Luke says, but before those things happen. And you look at it and you're like, well, that's the same thing. You know, Then they're going to deliver you up and you are going to hate you. But Luke says, but before these things, they're going to deliver you up. But they're not. How many people today, how many believers today, have you ever heard of being dragged into a synagogue to face Jewish leaders for their belief in Christ? Doesn't happen. Happened in Luke's day. How many, have you ever heard of a Christian being dragged before a king because of their belief in Jesus? Hadn't happened. Doesn't happen in our day. Happened in Luke's day. Luke is looking backwards to things that the church was going through at that point Matthew's looking forward to what's going to happen one day. Um, so, but and before are two, you know, but and then are two different things. So if you don't, again, if you don't notice what's happening, you're going to assume that they're talking about the same things and you're going to mess up your theology. You're going to say meaning to things of the past when they're really fulfillment of things yet to come. Look at it this way. Here's that timeline we're at again. Uh, this is a graph of a relationship timeline. We are here. Somewhere... At the end of the of the church age, nearing the age of the Gentiles, Luke goes back to talk about the events that of the first century, while Matthew goes forward to talk about events that will end the age of the Gentiles. They do catch up to each other eventually, but you have to look at Luke's record uh, to get the answer to Jesus to get Jesus's answer to the first question. So now. Look at Luke 21, verse 12 again. But before all these things, they shall lay their hands uh, on you. Sorry, I lost my place. All right. Uh, But before all these things, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up into synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Sell it therefore in your hearts... Not to meditate before uh, what ye shall answer, for I will give you a, mu- a mu- mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Yea, ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, and some of you shall be uh, shall they cause be put to death, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not be a hair of your head perish in your patience. Uh, in your patience, possess ye your soul. So these are all things. That happened to the first century church. We see these things happen in the book of Acts. Then look at verse 20. <clears throat> and this is the answer to the question about what to look for before the temple is destroyed. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Uh, then let them which are in Judea flee... "...to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let them not that are in the countries enter thereto. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to them which are with child, and to them which give suck, and in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled." A lot of people look at this verse and say he's talking about the tribulation. He's talking about times before the rapture, that, you know, woe to those people who are pregnant during, during this difficult time. He's not. He's talking about events that have already happened. Hadn't happened in Luke's day, but they have happened by now. That You know, Jerusalem has been surrounded by armies. It has been destroyed. It has been uh, conquered by uh, Gentiles. It happened in 66 A.D. Rome. In 66 A.D. Rome surrounded the city of Jerusalem, put it under siege, and Jewish believers who knew what Jesus said knew what was happening. They knew this is has to happen. They're going to destroy the temple. Now, what happened was there were some Jewish zealots that attacked Rome in their their back, their rear. So, Rome had to disengage from Jerusalem and attack. And so, people in Jerusalem thought, whew, okay, it's over. It wasn't over. Rome came back two years later, surrounded the city again, two year siege, destroyed it, wiped out the temple, all kinds of stuff. It was bad. Uh, So, we have the uh, answer to these questions the fourth, uh, we have the, the fifth, fourth, first, and third questions. Answered, But what about the last question? What signs do we look for to know when Jesus is coming back? Matthew 24, 20, verse 27. If anything, you're getting your Bible read today. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 27. <clears throat> For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the, the carcass is, there, sh- there will eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now look over at Luke 21. Verse 25. <clears throat> and there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now, again, you have to understand, he's talking to Jews Because he's still talking to apostles. Yes, they're believers, but they're Jewish believers. And he's telling them, "This this is what you need to look for for the end of the age of the Gentiles. Before I return to set up my kingdom. Not the rapture. The rapture is not the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus is when he comes to set up his kingdom. So this is Jesus saying, this is what you need to look for to know that the Daniel's 70th week that last year that last 7 year period it's 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 ending right now here's what you look for world wars we're not going to be here for all of them we'll see the next week i'll show you i'll show you all right we're going to look for world wars increasing earthquakes increasing famine tribulation and signs in the heavens. The, the sun's going to go dark. The moon's going to turn to blood. Anybody seen the moon turn to blood lately? Now I've seen some red moons. I've seen some, they call them blood moons, but they're not blood moons. The, blo- the moon has not turned blood red. It hasn't happened. The sun, we, we have, yeah, stars haven't fallen. Well, yeah, yeah. The sun's, the, the sun's had, because here's, when it's talking about the sun being darkened, when you, you read the crucifixion story, the earth, the Bible says the earth went dark for three hours, or the six hours? Went dark for a while, when it shouldn't have gone dark. Now, some people say, well, that was just a solar eclipse in Jerusalem at that time, which is fine, but solar eclipse don't last for hours. They last for minutes. Uh, maybe the whole event is an hour long, but the sun's not gone for hours. But there is historical records all over the world. They have found records in Mayan writings about a day about, you know, the time Jesus died where the whole earth went dark. That's what's going to happen again. It wasn't an eclipse. God reached over and turned out the light. And that's what's going to happen again before Jesus returned. Haven't seen it yet, but these are events that we can look for to say, hey, these things are coming. Now, we can say we've seen the first three easily. And here, when he talks about tribulation, and here's where people get, here's where people get mistaken about when the rapture will occur. There is a difference between tribulations and the great tribulation. We are going to have tribulations. We're going to face them. Just because it's life. Is what we go through. We will not endure the great tribulation, and I'll prove it to you next week. All right? So, which means we're at least waiting on the final two, maybe just the final one. But again, this is where people get messed up because they're like, okay, but this is talking about when when Jesus is talking here. He's talking about the age of the Gentiles, and he is warning the Jews who will be here on the earth during the tribulation what they need to look for before God comes to set up his kingdom. He's not... We don't need to worry about that. Now, we need to worry about some stuff, but i do not going to worry about the sun turning dark because I'm not going to be here. And when he sets up his kingdom, I'm coming back with him. So it doesn't matter to me. I don't care what happens on earth during the seven-year tribulation. They can do whatever they want to do. I don't care. I'm in heaven. Sue's got to worry about it, but I don't. Uh, So anyway. So, signs of the times. We've seen... A lot of them. We're waiting on at least one more that will not happen until the seventh, the 70th week of Daniel begins, which will not happen while the church is here. The church is not here during the tribulation. We start, our departure starts the final week, and that final week begins the end of the age of the Gentiles. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.